welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures, one or two chapters at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet from me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Brandon. Good to see you. What are you, what are you having today? I've got a hot buttered rum. Ooh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about you? I'm having a Manhattan. Always a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with uh, some bullet rye. Nice. And two cherries. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, so those are the beverages that are going to get us through two chapters today. We are going to be talking about Matthew chapters 22 and 23. So to give you a heads up about the specific things we want to explore, in 2210, we're going to look at Brandon's phrase, those in hardship and those with privilege. In 2214, with footnote D, there's that word select instead of chosen or elect. Then in 2218, with footnote F, uh, you don't see the word hypocrites, you see the word pretenders. Let's talk about that. In 2223, with footnote I, we're doing a lot of little ones this week, so don't expect us to do like diatribes on all of these, but 23, with footnote I, uh, reawakening instead of resurrection. In 23, 6, with footnote D, the word love is missing, instead it's care about. In 23, 7, with footnote E, your excellence instead of rabbi which was surprising to me. And then finally, 2315, Jesus uh, starts calling names <laughs> uh, and uh, or so. And there's that phrase, the children of the valley, of the Hinnom Valley. So that's what we're going to talk about. If, ha- if you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation, hopefully that was a little bit of context to help you, but it really is better if you read it yourself. There's a link to do that in the episode notes and as always make sure to catch the footnotes where some of the thickest nerdery happens so go ahead and give it a read we'll be here having sips of our beverages welcome back everybody let's jump into it and honestly i think we're let's i kind of need to be a bit meta about this and say that first whole parable, what is it like? Uh, one through what? 14. Thir- 14. Yeah. That shit is weird. And I don't understand this. <laughs> like uh, some of these, mm-hmm. uh, some of these parables, like Jesus really expects you to actually have to wrestle with what he's saying, or maybe that maybe it made quick sense in the day. But for me, I, you know, I read this mm-hmm. one and it's, it's peculiar. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It gets like, at first I feel like I'm tracking, like there's a wedding, the host invites some people. He's excited when it's time to, to start, lets them know it's ready. You know, I'm with you so far, but then like they don't come and in fact start murdering the the people carrying the message that it's ready. Like what, what just happened? Um, Mm -hmm. And then he murders them back and uh, yeah, it's, it's weird. And then he says, okay, 
you know what? Go invite everybody. And then people come in, but they're not dressed right. And he's like, yeah, you're going out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> back outside with you. Back to uh, the outer darkness. Like, I don't get what the punchline here is. So I'm hoping that in there aren't too many really strong translation shifts that you made here, but Mm-mm. I feel like I just needed to preface it yeah. with I'm confused. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that might, that might be as far as we get uh, just puzzling over our confusion here. Um, mm-hmm. But that's worth doing too. So, yeah, we just kind of summarized the whole parable. You want to read a, 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 a verse or two or what feels appropriate to you to talk about yeah, that part in verse 10? Talking about 10. Um, so it's, yeah, it's after they're doing the second round of inviting, just like rounding people up on the street. Uh, <laughs> so it's the enslaved workers went out to the roads and gathered everyone they found, both those in hardship and those with privilege and the wedding banquet was filled with guests. Now, is that usually uh, the poor and the rich? No, it's, it's usually the good and bad. Oh, both good and bad or good and evil or evil and good, actually bad and good in that order. Um, so it's translating paneros, which is evil or bad traditionally it's earlier in Matthew. It's the same word that we saw as like when the whole eye is bad or when the eye is bad, the whole body is darkness Um, or vice versa. And like when the tree is bad, it produces bad fruit. Um, That's, that's the same word here. Um, Matthew five. I also toyed with doing it as those who are oppressed or in hardship um, and I'm still kind of unsettled about it here. It, it could really go either way. The Greek word is about essentially hardship, harm, oppression happening. Yeah. And it's not real specific as to whether the word is about the cause or the recipient. So it's just kind of based up on context to figure that out. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So but I am kind of leaning toward, especially with the reaction of the host here to some of these, thinking maybe it's the people causing harm or might, might be in view there, but it's, it's hard to say. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, even though I don't quite understand the totality of this parable, it's, it, it seems narratively at that point to, to be about like the kind of people that you'd expect to want to invite to your party and mm-hmm. the kind of people that you're like, nah, I'd really rather they not be there. Yeah, because if we're talking about appropriate wedding clothes in the next verse, maybe it's the people who are in hardship and don't can't afford the wedding clothes. But but then that doesn't really fit with everything else Jesus is always about. So it's weird. Yeah, it sure is. Uh... You know, one of the things that we've talked about and is worth saying, I think, is the difference between a parable and an allegory too, though. Oh yeah. I think a lot of times we read stories like this and assume they're allegories, whether or not we even know what that word means, a sense of that this character in the story represents this other real character. 
and this character in the story represents this other real character or this character represents this group or um the lion is jesus yeah right and and there is an example of an allegory it's the the four seeds the four the seed being planted in the four soils where like jesus says each of the soils represents this and but overall parables aren't doing that they're teaching one meaning and yeah, all of the yeah. elements of the story are just contributing to that one meaning uh, and it's not about like this character represents god and this these characters represent the church and these characters represent uh, the pharisees or whoever it's it's not what it's about mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think a really easy example to do that with is the parable of the unjust judge uh where there's an old woman seeking justice and he says no like i'm not going to do the just thing i'm going to help the person who's bribed me or whatever the case may be and she keeps bugging him over and over and over until he finally like gives in because he's sick of it and gives her justice Mm -hmm. if we take that to be allegorical like each thing has a corresponding thing then god becomes someone who doesn't want to do justice and only does it when we bug him so much that he can't take it anymore (laughs) yeah that's not the point of that story the point is to persevere in pursuing justice yeah Um, yeah but but yeah that you can actually capture the point of it better if you step away from the like aslan paradigm where yeah the the allegorical thing it's like this is a coded story that's not meant to be one for one really anywhere it's it's exploring a, a social or political or spiritual dynamic that's happening in jesus's ministry without sometimes there's not like the punchline the twist the jab is directed towards somebody but it doesn't mean like sure they're oh oh the bad king they're the pharisees right uh so maybe that maybe part of my thinking about this matter may be very uptight um because i'm so habituated to read parables allegorically. Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps perhaps this parable will make a little bit more sense if I take a, a more dynamic approach. Maybe. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. It, it, that's got to be difficult for translating where other, other modes of writing in Matthew, like Jesus teaching kind of ethical things or stories of him healing people or um, the narrator talking, take, doing an aside and breaking the fourth wall and saying, Hey, this is related to that thing in Isaiah. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all comparatively straightforward. And so what we've talked about off mic before is how, when you're having trouble figuring out what the best way forward for a given word or phrase is, one of the first rules is context is look at the broader Mm -hmm. flow of literature that's happening here. And so all those broader flows of literature, those kind of genres within this gospel, if you understand what the hell's going on, you know what word to choose. But if you don't know what the hell is going on, (laughs) 
<laughs> right. If, if there's more than one choice and you're relying real heavily on context, like I usually am. Yes. And I don't understand the context, then, then, then I'm in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, uh, that happens here in verse 14. So finally, after all this weird stuff happens, the point where the person is not wearing the right clothes, so they're cast out of the community, sent into the outer darkness uh, as if they're unclean, as if they've broken Torah. Then it says, you see, many are invited, but the select are few. Or traditionally, the elect are few, or chosen are few. Yeah, few are chosen. And... I don't know how to make sense of any of those three words, really. Like here, I I went with select as opposed to chosen or elect. The Greek is eklektos because there does seem to be kind of reciprocal interaction happening here. It's not just like the host's whim, at least in the host's mind. (laughs) Anyway, he's not just like, uh... I'm going to pick a number between one and 10. Guess the number I'm thinking. And like, whoever happens, like, it's not just random. It, it's not predestination for all you Calvinists out there. Um, I'm sure we have oodles of them listening to us. Yes, I'm sure. They, they, they do seem to earn it in some way. Like they, they're, it's a response to their presentation, to their behavior, to something about them in particular. And so just chosen makes it completely about the chooser, at least implies that like, not necessarily like I choose a cake because of the quality of the cake, not, not just because I'm like spinning around in circles and pointing it when at random, but I don't know. It's an evocative picture. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, that sounds fun. Actually. I kind of want to do that, be in a room full of cakes and, just try one at random, but so I want to select because it also it has a sense of quality to it. It's like the 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 select items are the like the ones that are higher quality would have good reason to select them. Um, so that's why I went with that word, but I but I don't love it either, honestly. Yeah, yeah, me neither. It's it's fine. It's sufficient. And if one of your commitments is to take away words that we may kind of snag on, then the word elect is certainly bound up with mm-hmm. something pretty problematic. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm perfectly a, fine. Absolutely with, a technical term. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with chosen, you know, the. Um, yeah. If the story is supposed to be in, if the subject, if the person doing the choosing is God or whatever, that's cool. Like the, the initiative of God is such a core part of the story. Like I chose you guys, you guys are dweebs. Like you guys are like the least of the nations and I, you're the ones I chose. Mm -hmm. Um, God is always the one going forth and there is a a robust participatory sense to how that all works out um Mm -hmm. but the way they choose to tell the story has an emphasis on divine prerogative and agency without it being some sort of weird all controlling like greek god madness yeah no it's well that's weird but i just in this context 
the context is lacking right? mm-hmm. or not lacking. My understanding of the context is lacking. And so it's hard to, to know exactly what, what that phrase is trying to convey exactly. Well, let's move on uh, from a context that feels a bit confusing to something that makes a little bit more sense to us. In verse 18 with footnote F, normally the word hypocrites is there, but you've chosen the word mm-hmm. pretenders. Yeah. Yeah. Could you read the, the verse for us? Or, yeah. Or so. Yeah, he's responding them to like trying to trap him and asking a politically chart, politically and religiously charged question here. So they say, so tell us, what do you think? Is it right to pay the census tax to Caesar or not? Well, gotcha he, setups. Yeah. Uh-huh. So either, either answer is wrong to somebody here. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus says, refuses basically and says pretenders jesus said to them knowing their corruption why are you posing tests for me show me the coin used for the census tax so they brought him the denarius whose image is this caesar so give to caesar with caesar's and to god to god yeah um but yeah that pretenders and then that shows up several times in the next chapter too um yeah it sure does yeah there's a whole flow of the next chapter, but mm-hmm. yeah. So the Greek is hypocrites, which is where we get hypocrite. Just basically took the Greek word, turned it into an English word, yep. called it good without really an explanation of what it meant. What it literally meant was an actor, like a, a play actor up on stage doing the thing, um, putting a different masks in front of their face to demonstrate different characters um, and that actually is kind of referenced in this chapter to it. Um, I think it's in my footnote right before this talks about the word for face is also the word for these masks. Um, oh, that's interesting. That, that actors would, would use. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was on purpose or not, but it could be, um, seems likely, but, uh, anyway, the point being, it's about people portraying something externally that has nothing to do with who they actually are. Yeah. And so hypocrite like can't basically means that, but it's, it's just, yeah, it's got all this, it's loaded and has this history and it's kind of a technical term. It does get used some outside of religious context, but um, not a ton. Well, and if you, if there's a way to, I suppose your translation isn't doing it, but it's because we don't really have an equivalent. And that is uh, a principle that has been touched on a few times has been let the metaphor speak for mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. It'd be weird to shout actors. Yeah. I mean, not, it it would kind of work, but I don't think Jesus has a problem with like people making movies. No, no, I don't think yeah. he does either. Yeah. So, yeah, given that there's not really a, there's not an example, there's not a word that we have that would capture, that would let the metaphor speak for itself. Mm-hmm. Pretenders is all right. Like, it's neutral at uh, in, in its origin, but it's being used in a way that's like, no, you, you should only be a, a, an actor on a stage. You should only be pretending on the stage. You shouldn't be mm-hmm. pretending about this stuff. Like, if you really right. want to twist the knife, like bullshitters would be mm-hmm. 
oh ye who are full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Maybe two faced, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting going into the next chapter where he starts using this word over and over again, kind of in a re- repetitive way. He's saying pretenders and then every time follows it with, by the way, if you didn't catch it, I'm talking to you Pharisees and Bible scholars mm-hmm. every time, seven times in a row. Um, yeah. Yeah. This, this repetition of listen, pretenders, Bible scholars, and was it scribes? Uh, the Pharisees. Pharisees. Yeah. So basically like church leaders. Mm-hmm. More, yeah. So. Yeah. Like, Hey, fundamentalists. And pretenders and Bible Bible teachers. That's his like refrain. That's his summon to like listen up. You gotta understand how thin of ice you're on in terms of like the path that you're going. And the word hypocrite just as its own somewhat arcane word. Yeah, like you can shore it up by really emphasizing um there's a consciousness to pretending like a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. I think the vernacular sense of that, the casual sense of it is uh, a hypocrite is someone who's being inconsistent, who's saying one thing and doing the other pretender. This is, this is subtle. This is subtle, but I think a pretender there, there is more of an agency to it. Like you, there's a falsehood to it. Mm -hmm. Putting on a show putting on a show and hypocrite. I think the connotations of it today, I guess speaking for myself really just captures you say one thing and do another. Mm -hmm. You're not consistent, which is like, well, shit, we're all not consistent. We're all hypocrites in that regard, but to be a pretender is a sharper accusation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're not really who you say you are. Yeah. Not really who you want us to think you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on to verse 23. Mm-hmm. And with the word awakening, set us up. Yeah. So that same day, Sadducees, who say there is no reawakening, went up and challenged him. And we don't really need to read how they challenged him because it's not really about the, the word. The fact we're talking about reawakening there. Well, yeah, the the whole like yeah. challenge, the gotcha that they're trying to trap him in, culminates in like, hey, on the other side of things, in the mm-hmm. the renewal of all things, mm-hmm. how is this situation going to be sorted out? And right. they think they've got him in a like, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But right. so it, it it like this little aside of this word, who say there is no reawakening, does matter. True. Yeah. It's not just like making some sort of weird shibboleth. Like, by the way, they don't think the Bible's inerrant. Going ahead. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's it's cultural context for those who don't know, basically, is, is why the author put it in there. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. It's a, Jesus accuses them of not knowing the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. th- th- your, your question is so bad, you don't even know the Bible. Like. <laughs> You don't even know what you're talking about. Um, but I so saw reawakening here instead of the traditional resurrection. Um, 
which feels it's almost like my my gut reaction we talked about this all the way back in chapter one of how i keep using jesus instead of like joshua yeah um even though if i were to be consistent and not perhaps a hypocrite uh with my attempts to undo some anti-semitism that's built into our translations and do the, the hebrew the jewish hebrew version of these names instead of the greek versions then i would have gotten with joshua except that just jesus means something more particular than the name the general name joshua to me yeah yeah fidelity there's you're choosing among fidelities here and yeah. fidelity to the actual like how his name would otherwise be transliterated is yeah anyway that's all mm-hmm. that's yeah anyway and we brought that up to say that this one feels close to that to me personally yeah. and, and maybe maybe others too maybe not maybe i'm alone i'm not um but i went ahead and did it because i i think it makes a difference in a positive way but it felt a little hard to let go of the word resurrection um but it's definitely a, a religious technical term does not exist outside of a religious context. And this is what the word means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, over and over, like, like whenever you talk about raising from the dead or raise Jesus up, it's all the word for like, wake up over and over again. And so the resurrection is like the, the re waking up is what that word is. Um, and then it's paired with like the, the euphemism for dying is falling asleep throughout the Bible. And so the opposite is waking up. You fall asleep. And if you come back to life, then you wake up. Mm-hmm. And that's, so that's really what this is. And that again, don't want to use a technical term. Want to let the images do their own work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so really that's, that's what this should be. And, you know, I, I capitalized it because it is talking about a specific event. It's not just anybody waking up again. It's, this is the reawakening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it make it, it makes a difference and it, it makes us have to think about it, slow down a little bit. Yeah. What do you gain with this? The first thing that comes to mind is that it's, which isn't, unique to changing it from resurrection to reawakening, but it does, it's a return to something like the same kind of life that you fell asleep in. (laughs) Like it's embodied. Mm. It's not floating off in the ether in the sky somewhere. My body is awaking up. That's, that's what this is talking about. It's not a disembodied experience. It's very embodied. Um, And, and this, highlights that in a way the resurrection means that too but it's not as immediately apparent maybe yeah maybe just differently you have to be in the know i think you have to be basically you have to be an nt right fan and know about the life after the life after death but yeah but i mean like awakening is also used uh across cultures and mm-hmm. and millennia to describe spiritual enlightenment, which I mean, is also yeah. a word that occurs in Matthew. Mm-hmm. Enlightenment, mm-hmm. 
I yeah. think I did it as illuminated, but it's the same word. To me, reawaken leaves the door cracked open a bit towards that that sense of okay at the reawakening at the um, mm-hmm. conscious it, like the great awakening in American history. Like, sure, sure, yeah, or like, it 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 has a substantial connotation in our Euro-American context of much more disembodied redemption or occurrence. It can really be, you know, hey, man, I was just awakened. I I read this book and my mind was blown. Um, I uh, saw this thing and had this experience in the forest and I just feel awake now. Uh, I read this book whatever it is Mm -hmm. uh it's not it doesn't immediately convey bodiliness like resurrection although a technical term i think pretty uniformly means to people bodiliness now they you're right they're Mm. missing they're missing the context here it's really easy to not catch that um jewish hope was that god would one day be faithful as the God of justice and the creator to bring that creation to justice, to full aliveness, to vanquish mm-hmm. foes that um, keep it in bondage. And that includes death. So there's this, yeah, it's a creational hope. That's a, that's a story in the Jewish consciousness of that day. Of Except for uh, the Sadducees, apparently. Except for the Sadducees, apparently. Because they were kind of hooked up with the status quo, mm-hmm. so oddly enough, oddly enough, the Pharisees are actually the the dudes who are kind of the grassroots organizers out there. They're being dicks about it, but they are fundamentally building a, a they're they're building tiny pyramids, but they're still fighting the big pyramids. So it's complicated, right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> they've still got their own personal salvation projects, but. Yeah. Uh, and I love that in Acts, Paul uses this very topic to like start a riot, basically, between the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, so that he gets out of it's a get out of jail free card for him, basically. My guy, it's pretty pretty shrewd guy. Yeah, I'll say he could be more clear at times, but he was pretty witty. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I'm getting at is. You do have to have some knowledge of the, the the Jewish hope of bodily resurrection here being the culmination of like national vindication and all these things. Like in reawakening and resurrection, neither of them immediately invoke that. And it does still depend on people knowing that. So reawakening isn't helping people here in that mm-hmm. regard. It's more consistent with those other idioms they're Jewish yeah. idioms of like people who die are asleep, but it's right. understandable that we don't need to get people into every first century idiom or figure of speech unless it really like I'm fine yeah. with keeping it feeling forward and alien um, in the name of like recognizing this is a foreign culture and this is 2000 yeah. years ago. You shouldn't make them all sound like they're contemporaries like that's a yeah bad translation yeah, it shouldn't sound like it was written last week no because it wasn't but 
I don't know. I think I might disagree with you a little bit. Like the, I think the high highlighting this theme of falling asleep and waking up that appears so frequently. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it, most people probably wouldn't even know that that's a frequent theme because people don't let that shine through. And, And I think it, when it shows up over and over, I feel like even if I might be wrong, and it doesn't matter. Like, I don't, yeah. I want to err on the side of like me is not assuming that it doesn't matter and like, let it be there for people to see so that, so they can do its work that I might be missing and still do it anyway, even if I'm missing it. Right. Right. Yeah. I appreciate that. That's, that's, I think the thing I like most about reawakening is its capacity to say like, well, let readers work with the metaphors and the phrases um, rather than us like kind of bolting it down, like you would say, yes, ultimately, whatever that Greek word is there is pointing to a bodily res. You're not making that word suddenly point to a different hope or a different notion. Um, you're just saying this word and this figure of speech of waking up is the one that the early church chose or that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. So why not give it a shot? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's kind of funny. Like it reminds me of, we talked about in another episode, like, like argument about wilderness versus desert and how like, I thought you can't use wilderness because wilderness is forested because he was from Kentucky and that's what the oh, wild area yeah, of Kentucky right. was and how just words mean different things to different people. So my impulse was reawakening gives a, a more a clearer sense of it being bodily because a body wakes up and and sits up and gets out of bed and and for Yawns. you it's like resurrection is the one that lets the bodily element come through i'm like oh that's interesting yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah all right well we'll have to let sleeping dogs lie here uh and move along to uh chapter 23 with footnote or sorry 23 verse 6 with footnote d uh, normally the word is love. Like these guys, they love, but you say, eh, they care about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you give, the, give us a reading of the context or what you feel? Like yeah. There? This is Jesus talking more about how pretending the Pharisees are, how much they pretend uh, so starting in verse five. Say they make their efforts so people will notice them. They display their phylacteries and tassels prominently. They care about the spot for the highest status guest at dinners, the seat of honor in the synagogues, elaborate greetings of respect in public, and having people call them your excellence. Yeah, well, I guess we just got two of them in one go there. Yeah, yeah, that your excellence is the next one we want to talk about. Yeah, so but that just... care about specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually love, but it's different than the word that's translated as love in like love your neighbor as yourself or love the Lord your God. Um, it's not the same word. But we just take these different Greek words. I've heard it. I've heard it said there are four different loves. Uh, You've been in, reading C.S. Lewis. And yeah. like 20 years ago. Yeah. 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 He wrote a book called The Four mm-hmm. Loves and there's four Greek words for love. And so there are these four different senses in which we love one another. 
um let's see you've got eros which is the conventional like erotic romantic yep. there's which doesn't exist in the bible by the way oh really that word is not used yep. yeah it was in the language at the time but just never got used <laughs> and then you've got uh phileo which is what's used here right which is more like friendship yeah my valuing you, you ask ask different sources and they'll give you a little bit different answers mm-hmm. i see it in the lens of like affection yeah um so like how i might have affection for a friend or a family member maybe even like the kind of love that a, a parent would have for their child or i got a soft spot for siblings yeah there's a soft spot but not just like warm fuzzies although i think that's included it's but like an attachment to like a bond Mm -hmm. um that kind of relationship and then let's see the big one is agape agapeo uh which is like the kind of love that god that god most conspicuously extends towards creation Mm -hmm. self-giving love yeah there's a a sense of it's being committed to enacting good for those being loved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not about emotion, not about warm fuzzies, although it's not opposed to that. But that's just not what it's about. Love is a verb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. About doing, bringing about goodness for them. Mm-hmm. And then what's the, what's the fourth one? I, I can never remember. Yeah. I, I mean, think it happens like once in the Bible and yeah. So. Yeah. The point point being here that look, there are at least at least two regularly used loves here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's worth giving a, a translator the discre- discretion to not just use the word L-O-V-E love, but to mm-hmm. try out other phrases that enunciate, that accentuate the subtleties of why they chose phileo instead of agapeo. Like mm-hmm. those are two different words. Why would we? And we have phrases. All sorts. They can enunciate both of those. So why the hell would we just be like, ah, love? Yeah, it's lazy. I, yeah, I mean, and so in this case, it doesn't make a a big twist to the meaning of it. Yeah, not in this spot, but I, but I think it is. It's something that I have kept doing in my translation work is that when it's agape um, or the verb form agapao, like I use love, uh, but when it's philia or phileo, um, I'm trying to find another way to say it. Yeah. That just seems like a, a, it's a hard thing to argue with. There's nothing controversial to this. It's just, Mm -hmm. well, let's go for it. Let's, let's lean towards diversity. Yeah. In our language. So yeah, the at the end of that verse there, usually it's that you know they love having people call them rabbi or master, mm-hmm. and you went with your excellence. So yeah. I was I was totally under the impression that it's the word, same word as like teacher. I thought rabbi just meant teacher, and that's the the Greek word mm-hmm. there. Your footnote is like slapped my hand a little about that one. <laughs> uh huh. I've I've heard that too, uh, but it's not. It. it, it Didaskalos is teacher, and that gets used to describe Jesus in, in Matthew. And there's 
another another word that occurs in scripture that's can be teacher or like instructor uh, again not this one so th- this is ravi rabbi um and it i don't think there's like a really really good direct translation it, it's it means something like my great one um mm. is what it literally means mm-hmm. my highly esteemed one something like that yeah mm-hmm. a really important one um so it's 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 an honorific it's a it's a show of kind of honoring you putting my place kind of like saying at your service kind of yeah. to someone it's placing oneself lower in the pyramid yeah submitting to them yeah yep. Yeah, which is totally in keeping with the sort of thing Jesus just will not. He doesn't play pyramid games, mm-hmm. like at all. Yeah, and and he's saying, you know, he's right in the middle of saying that that's what the Pharisees and Bible scholars are all about is just like making sure that people know that they're better than everyone else and love them and make them feel good and they're a bunch of narcissists basically. <laughs> yeah, what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that I, I mean, I don't know about narcissists. Just the ego loves the loves to be yeah. stroked, and you know, I've I've professionally worked with a fair amount of people who are uh, who are pastors, and mm-hmm. some really always want to be called pastor, pastor so and so, or bishop so and so, and. I understand the wisdom of like acknowledging core to who I am in your, in this co- social context is, I, uh, is, is as an overseer is as a shepherding presence. I, I appreciate that. Like this is a discerned particularity of how they serve the people of God, of how they are a known character in their neighborhood. Right. And same thing goes here. Like, it's great to be a rabbi. It's totally cool. I, if people use, those honorifics for themselves, whether it's pastor or bishop or rabbi, I try to, or father, I try to follow suits. Um, mm-hmm. Cause a word is it, just a word. It, it is. It really is. It, and it's, it's how you're using it. The meaning you're attaching to that, that, that matters here. Yeah. And I, I don't want to like let my own purity game be what keeps mm-hmm. me from uh, like, oh, I'm not, I refuse to call anybody pastor or reverend or bishop or rabbi or I'm father so or, or brother. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not about me dealing with my own like purity on this stuff and like being avant-garde. He's, he's really just making a general aside about, look, it's easy. It's really easy when you get revered, when you have, particularly a morally charged station to really get off on being, having a name, having it on the business card. Mm -hmm. So anybody who like really kind of, kind of gets off on it, like that's a, that's problematic. Like using it. Examining. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so here you did still decide that, the cultural, the culturally specific word that's often used here, rabbi, is not mm-hmm. what you want to use. You're often you're trying to surface the no. Jewishness of it all, but you're you're saying, "Well, hang on, yeah, why, why, why?" Right. 
the context is really different. So rabbi is exactly the same as pastor. It's like the type of position you're holding in the community, like not how highly esteemed you are, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure members of Jewish communities esteem their rabbis, but that's not mm-hmm. what it means anymore. The words change their meanings over time. And this has been 2000 years of time for it to change its meaning. The rabbi as a position in the Jewish community did not exist at this time. <laughs> also that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the qu- closest equivalent was probably Pharisee. Um, also, there's something called uh, a leader of the synagogue. Maybe that would be a, a pretty close equivalent um, of what is now referred to as a rabbi. Yeah, like the president um, of the synagogue is not yeah. necessarily the rabbi. Yeah, but there wasn't uh, rabbinic Judaism hadn't come into shape yet. That didn't exist yet. That was not for a couple more centuries. So, so when a, a 21st century person says rabbi as their spiritual leader, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean what it means here. It, the context is completely different. The language has changed. Mm-hmm. Well, going from making sure that we're not using a neutral honorific pejoratively, Let's just conclude the episode uh, in uh, 2315, where he does kind of like, kind of call names, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Uh, I, I mean, love He spends I, this whole chapter basically just like calling people out. So, yeah. Yeah. So, verse 15, can you give verse 15 a read for everybody? Yeah. You'd better watch out, pretenders. Bible scholars and Pharisees, because you wander dry places and see to recruit one new follower. And when someone joins, you make them twice the child of the Valley of Hinnom as you. Oh, so good. The conventional reading there is already like one of the few places where I want to keep the word hell. Mm-hmm. Like you go all over the earth earth you go on boats over the sea jews are scared of the ocean back then uh but mm-hmm. you do it anyway and you go all over the place and you f- just to make one convert and the angels in heaven rejoice right and you made them twice the sons of hell like it's <laughs> yeah i mean it's not bad like dry places uh, uh tends to be where in the like cosmology of the time that like evil spirits and demons would roam would wander yeah you go Um, to the places of demons and you go to the places of chaos the deep the sea uh you you are brave against the great forces of being cut off from god's provision and being immersed in the chaos of god's withdrawal Mm -hmm. and you make you get one person but it mattered to that one and you make them twice the son of a bitch as you. Um, like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. A, it's, go ahead. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. It, it's the intensity that Jesus talks to the people in this chapter is. <laughs> He's just like out of shits to give. It's amusing to no end. Uh, it's hilarious. And, it wasn't this funny then. No. But it's it's funny to think of Jesus talking like this to people. We don't normally we don't we don't think about that. He's he's like spent all of this time being like, 
really coy and witty and squirrely as all get out. Yeah. And, and then now like, he's just like, you guys suck. It's <laughs> like, like that direct. Stop being yeah. assholes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he uses something more specific than like calling somebody an asshole yeah. or a son of a bitch. It's like, yeah, yeah. Valley of Hinnom. It's not just like you're bad. It's, it's very specific. It's a reference back to, to Jeremiah particularly and, and some other places in the Hebrew Bible. Um, and that we've, we've talked about in previous chapters where Israel and others were consistently worshiping Moloch, which entails yeah. burning your own babies alive. And that's what he's accusing them of basically is like, you think you're all that you think you're the ones being most faithful to God. No, you're the one doing this shit. Like this is, this is the kind of stuff you're pulling. It may not look like it on the outside, but it has the same impact Mm -hmm. and destruction and death and judgment were the the results of that. And it very literally in Jeremiah, the Babylonian army came in and conquered Israel, destroyed the city, carted people off into slavery, killed a bunch of people. And Jesus is saying like, that's the direction you're going and that's what you're doing here. Yeah. Because uh, about 40 years after this, the, the occupying Roman army responded to a about three year uprising by some Jewish nationals and more or less leveled Jerusalem. The historian mm-hmm. uh, of the time, Josephus, said that the blood was running so thick down Jerusalem streets that it actually extinguished fires. Seems a little exaggerative, but you take the point. You take his points like it was mm-hmm. a massacre. And the Valley of Hinnom is both the place where you give that which is most precious to you and that which is your future, in some sense, your future, your legacy, Mm -hmm. in order to get some short-term gain of manipulating the divine to do something. It's, it means that, and it means it's a, it's a signpost. It's a symbol of being consigned to destruction nationally. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're speeding it up. Like you, you think that you're creating the faithful people who are coloring within the tightest lines imaginable so well that then God won't cast us into this oblivion. Like, like going back to, to Deuteronomy, like they think they're obeying all the rules of Torah, which then very vending machine, God, like very much like, (laughs) like, Moloch worship of like, if I do exactly the right thing, no matter how distasteful it is, then that God will reward me and give me the good things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm following Torah. So God in, in Deuteronomy 28 said that I would be blessed, right? End of story. No problem. And instead Jesus is saying, no, you didn't finish the chapter. Read the rest of 28 <laughs> and keep yeah. going. Like, like the, the curses, the things that are, the consequences of not follow being faithful to Torah, not fa- faithful to like what Torah is actually about, which is kind of Jesus whole message is like, you think you get the Torah by following all these rules. You've missed the point completely. Like the rules I'm not going to judge on, but. But the treat others as you would have them treat you L- love God, love your neighbor, 
like those are the things hospitality justice jubilee like these are the this is the soul of it all right in fact there's the next few verses down says you better watch out pretenders bible scholars and pharisees because you give an offering of a tenth of your mint dill and cumin so following this very precise very obscure rule uh, while dismissing the important things of Torah, justice, compassion, and faithfulness. Wow. He's like, you're missing it entirely. And you're leading toward the curses, not the blessings. You're directing the entire nation because remember, these are not just people living their own lives. They're actively the leaders in the community, teaching the entire community to follow them. Yeah. yeah. You are leading this entire people toward the Valley of Hinnom towards the invading army, towards the destruction that is the natural result of treating other people at, like they're worthless, mm-hmm. of completely ignoring Torah. And you're doing it in a vending machine God way. Like mm-hmm. baby goes into fire, the rest of us get it to escape the fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give a tenth of my mint, dill, and cumin. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Then, then God has to give me the blessings. So this translation, just by invoking that language of the Valley of Hinnom, I think this is one of the best places constructively to include Valley of Hinnom. All these other places that you've put it in, it's like, well, that's that's really good. And sometimes it can be pretty punchy. Um, it unlocks new layers of meaning of what Christ was saying. But substantially for me, speaking for myself, it's like just get this problem of the satanic doctrine of hell out of the Bible. Like that's the best part of what it's doing. Everything else is a bonus. In this case, Mm -hmm. it's like, dude, this is so much more meaning than him just uh, the conventional reading of like you just make him twice the sons of hell as, as you is is just like calling them an asshole he's he's just like Mm -hmm. saying you guys are just being it's he's saying something much more precise yeah and evocative no yeah being a a child or a son of the valley of hinnom is it's like being in the american revolution a son of liberty it's aligning yourself dedicating yourself to promoting this way of being that's pursuing liberty it's here it's son of valley of hinnom that's dedicating yourself yeah. to a way that's promoting the values of the valley of hinnom and and all of that stands for child sacrifice and national suicide mm-hmm. yeah it's it's grave yeah what a positive note to wrap <laughs> yeah it's been fun <laughs> yeah yeah if any of you were uh, placing bets on how many episodes Brandon and Brandon were going to end on child sacrifice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was more than one. Uh, we're back. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I, and I, I, I do genuinely hope it, it leaves us unsettled. The, it, you should feel unsettled. Like we're making kind of nauseous, japes about it um but really to point out that there's a depth to the power of the words of christ that we've lost 
He's standing within a tradition and a, a community of memory and a geography of memory that gives incredible power to places, to these words that most translations conceal because sadly they were committed to a tradition where their cosmic geography was one of, there's a big part of it called torment forever and ever. However, they got to that conclusion. This returns us to the real Jewishness and particularity of Christ in calling out modes of being religious that are ultimately forms of delirium and sort of a shared suicidality, uh, bloodlust. And he's calling that what it is, which is a far more offensive thing or consequentially offensive thing than the, sh- the sheer crassness. Like that's not crass. It's just alarming and it's, it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's subversive. Hell is crass. Hell is, is just crass and nasty and false. The Valley of Hinnom is a subversive image. And I hope, I hope professional translators will follow in your steps here in um, insisting upon its place front and center. And with that, that I think that's going to conclude us this week. We are thankful as always that you decided to spend the past hour or so with us. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave a rating or review in your podcast player of choice. It makes it easier for more people to find the show. Have you done it yet? Take a minute. It's fine. You can do it by the time I'm done reading this. You can totally do it. Please do. Now, the second best way, you could probably also do it in about the same amount of time, is to support this, to support this show is to become a sponsor, which you can do for only $5 a month. When you do that, you get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the episode's notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Goodbye, Brandon. Bye, Brandon. See you in hell, everybody. Ha, ha, ha.